You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. draw close to the Lord to experience that. We can't experience from afar. Oh, you might get bits piece of it, but you can't experience the full joy of the Lord unless you draw close to Him. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And you will feel that presence and you will have that joy. When we desire the Lord's presence, we're doing the same thing that David did. And remember what the Lord said of David, it's a man after my own heart. Most people really long for peace and deep joy. And in our world, both feel like they're in short supply and hard to find. Yet, as Pastor Dave teaches today, you can only experience true peace or joy through faith in God. He gives you both as you draw closer to Him and trust Him with your life. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 16 as he begins his message, Blessings Flow from the Presence of God. First Chronicles 16, verses 1 through 6. I'll read aloud if you would like to follow along silently. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then... He distributed to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisin. And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph, the chief. Next to him, Zechariah. Then Jael. Shimarath, Jahil, that guy. Ileb, Benaniah, and Obed-Edom. J-E-L, now G-E-L, anytime you see an L on the end of the name, it's God. So his name means something of God. With string instruments, but Asaph made music with cymbals. Asaph was a percussionist, man. He was a percussionist. He made music with cymbals. Benaniah and Jasiel, the priests, regularly blew the trumpets before the Ark of the Covenant of God. Okay. Cool. So, we've been making our way through these first 15 chapters of this really interesting book of First Chronicles. And in the first 15 chapters, the writer has given us the genealogy of the Israelites. What he's trying to do is he's trying to give the new generation coming back from captivity a history lesson. He begins with the genealogy. He wants them to know where they come from. He wants them to know their background. He wants them to know who their forefathers were. And he wanted to give the generation a hope. He wanted to know that they had a storied past, a blessed past, a past that God had done miraculous works, and a past that God had brought them into the land that they now reside in. He wanted them to know that they have a magnificent future, a wonderful future ahead. 
He wants to tell these newbies who their God is and how he has led the nation through all the trials and afflictions. He wanted them to know about God's faithfulness. And the writer briefly touched on the first king of Israel, King Saul, focusing only on his death and the death of his sons. And beginning in chapter 11, we see the new king, King David, the shepherd boy who was chosen by God, anointed by Samuel. But now we're talking about 20-some-odd years later, David has ascended to the throne of all Israel. And through King David, God was in the process of restoring Israel. Remember all the problems Israel had with Saul and David, how they were split up into two basic camps, those who wanted to follow Saul, those who were following David, and there was constant trials and tribulations and all kinds of confusion. But God had anointed David king, and he had restored the tribes into one nation. He had David choose Jerusalem as the capital city. And now David wanted to continue the process by bringing the Ark of God, the Ark of Covenant, back to Jerusalem. What did the ark represent? The presence of God. We sang about that. The presence of God. It also represented the word of God. And it also represented the blessings of God. But the most important thing it represented was the presence of God. God would come and dwell between the cherubim. He would come and he would be there. David would write in Psalm 1611, In his presence is fullness of joy. In the Lord's presence is joy everlasting, joy forever. The fullness of joy comes to us as a blessing and a benefit of a life that is fully committed to God. When you fully commit your life to God, fully allow Him to lead your life through His Holy Spirit, fully allow Him to guide you and and to lead you into the truth of Jesus Christ and follow Him, there's joy abundantly. And what did Peter say? Joy inexpressible. The joy that is deep in our hearts. We live our lives that way, blessings abound. We experience the constant joy of God's presence. There's nothing more that can bring comfort to us. There's nothing more that can bring peace to us and joy in our lives like the constant presence of God. It brings such peace, such joy, even in the midst of the most terrible time you might ever go through. Even in the midst of a horrible pandemic, in a horrible social injustice, racial tension, in the horrible times that our country is now going through, in an election cycle that has ramped up to a fever pitch that's crazy, you can have the joy in your heart of the Lord by his presence. There's nothing more vital in our lives than that. One commentator I read said, without the sense of his God's abiding presence and a place of constant communion and fellowship, how far wrong we will go how far wrong we will go when we don't have that constant abiding. That's why Jesus said, abide in me. Abide in me and I abide in you. And when you do that, you'll bring forth much fruit. That your joy might be full. Abide in him. David understood this. David understood it and because he experienced the presence of God in his own life. But like David, we too must draw close to the Lord to experience that. We can't experience from afar. Oh, you might get a piece of it, but you can't experience the full joy of the Lord unless you draw close to him. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And you will feel that presence, and you will have that joy. When we desire the Lord's presence, we're doing the same thing that David did. 
And you remember what the Lord said of David. He's a man after my own heart. But it's up to us to set the Lord before us and to see him continually as our portion, continue as our hope, continually as our strength. Wherever we are, we should know that he is also there. You cannot go anywhere without him being there. Just look at Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the deepest, darkest part of the earth, you're still there. He's everywhere we go. He's with us. And he quoted that I will never leave nor forsake you. So we have that promise. He's with us always. 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 And when we meditate on his goodness, when we meditate on his goodness and we experience that beautiful blessing of his, that glorious, glorious blessing of his presence when we meditate on him and him alone. And the scripture I love to go to when we talk about this I thought I had it tagged, but naturally I didn't. That would be too easy, right? You know the scripture. We quote it all the time. Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8. Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And you can put the Lord's name in every single one of them. Because he is, that's, that's his attributes. Those are his characteristics. Everything we just talked about there. Meditate on these things. And then Paul says, the things which you have received and learned from, heard from me, these do, and what happens? And the God of peace will be with you. Meditate on those things. Think about those things. Let them encompass your life. Let them flow into you and receive them. And then think about that. What a beautiful thing. To see him as Lord and Savior. He is our owner. He has been bought with a price. He's our ruler. He's our judge. But he's also a gracious benefactor. One who gives liberally. Who gives to us gorgeous gifts. And when we meditate on these things. When we meditate on these things. We're not going to be moved either out of his service. Or from the comfort of his love. And every single one of us wants to feel that comfort of his love. Especially in a time like now. When we keep him in the forefront of our minds and in our hearts, nothing can move us. Nothing can come against us. Nothing can deter us. That's what the Apostle Paul said when he set the Lord before him, when he suffered chains and various afflictions. He could bravely say in Acts 20, 24, none of these things moved me. None of these things upset me, moved me to the point of going away from my Lord because I know him. Paul couldn't be moved because he knew that the joy of the Lord was his strength. Nehemiah knew that, and he says that in Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Even when we're saddened, even when we're troubled, or even when we're being convicted of sin. And when we're convicted of sin, we know that God is doing a work in us. We can be glad and take joy that he loves us enough to chastise us. He chastised those whom he loves. And I love this about Paul when he said this because he was a stout-hearted man. He was committed to the cause. And what was his cause? Jesus Christ. Paul was committed to Jesus Christ. And nothing was going to detour him or deter him from finishing that course of joy. John said, I write these things that your joy may be full. 
Do you have the full joy of the Lord? Well, it's one thing to have the full joy of the Lord while you're sitting here amongst the brethren and we're praising him with song and we're listening to a Bible study. But it's another thing to have the joy of the Lord when you leave this place, go into a dark, damp world that's perishing where we're constantly being put upon and things are coming against us and the world seems to cave in. That's when it really takes joy. That's when we really need to have joy in our heart. Know that the Lord is always with you. He will never leave nor forsake you. This is a great comfort to know that the Lord is with us. When Isaiah wrote the words of the Lord, he writes, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. And right hand always means strength. Strength. Who sits on the right hand of God the Father? Jesus. Strength. He said the same thing to Joshua in Joshua 1.5. When you're going through uncertain times right now, or if that's happening to you, and maybe fear has come in and squeezed out your faith, because fear can come in and it can rest in your heart and it can rid you of your faith. As you seek the Lord and as you commit your life to Him, as you seek Him with all your heart and commit your life to Him, you commit your circumstances. I'm in the midst of these things and I can't handle them, Lord. I'm pouring my cares on you because you care for me. You listen to that still, small voice that says, do not be afraid. I am with you. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Hear that voice in your heart and be overwhelmed with joy. Be overwhelmed with peace because he's got you in his hand. And the scripture says nothing can pluck you out of his hand. You can say what David said. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do. When trouble comes your way, like David, you can face the giants. You can face the giants that come your way. You can say to them, you come against me with a sword and a shield, but I come against you in the name of the living God. Joy of the Lord is our strength. The Lord assured Paul and everyone else that no man would be set on him or hurt him. Paul knew the joy of the Lord's presence. David knew the Lord's presence and the joy of the Lord's presence. And he understood the importance of the Ark of the Covenant because it was the presence of the Lord. And he wanted all the people to understand that. And he wanted them to know the presence of the Lord and feel what he felt. This is what a good shepherd does. He not only feeds the people physically, but he feeds them spiritually so that they can feel the presence of the Lord. He wants them to have what he has, a relationship with the Lord that is so true, so tight. And he wants everyone to have that. I desire that for anybody who calls Calvary Chapel their home. I desire that. That's why we teach the Bible. That's why we want you to learn the Bible. That's why on everything we do, we teach the Word of God. It's so important. So important. So the ark is back in Jerusalem. We read about that. The ark is now finally there. We read about all the problems they had getting it back there and the things that happened. And David blesses the people in the name of the Lord. He blessed them in the name of the Lord. He didn't bless them in the name of the king. He blessed them in the name of the Lord, which is one of the reasons at the end of Sunday service, I say now, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. It's a blessing for the Lord to do that. My blessing is great. Bless you, brother, but that's great. But you want the Lord to bless you. You want the Lord to bless you. That's what we need. So David blesses them in the name of the Lord. And it's interesting that when he had finished 
And we're going to talk about the offerings in a minute. This is why I got stuck. When David finished offering burnt and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to everyone of Israel, both men and women, and to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisin. Now, when I looked at the original King James, it says a flagon of wine. And I like that better because what I took from that is communion. I took communion from that as he gave the people bread and he gave them wine. Yes, he did give them meat too, but I took from that communion. David had great generosity. He had, was a grateful giver and a, and, and a cheerful giver. David loved to give. Remember, he was a shepherd. He took care of real sheep, nasty little gnarly sheep that bit. He took care of them. He protected them. David did that. So he loved feeding these people physically. And like I said, he wanted them to be fed spiritually by actually knowing the presence of the Lord. He appoints Levites in the proper place for caring and administering before the ark. Levites, that was their job. That's what the Levites did. Not all Levites were priests. If you were a Levite and from the line of Aaron, you could be a priest. We studied that when we studied the genealogy. But not all Levites were priests, but all Levites ministered unto the Lord. That was their job. They took care of the tabernacle. They took care of things. They took care of the ark. They took care of those type of things. And I love the fact that they're, they're blowing trumpets. That's the shofar, folks. That's the old ram's horn. They're blowing trumpets all the time. I love that. I love that. And there were several names that jumped out of me in verse 5. First of all, Asaph. We talked about him. He wrote 10 or 15 Psalms, all right? But look at the other name down there. Which one am I going to? Obed-Edom, my man. <laughs> Obed-Edom is in there. He, he, he was there with stringed instruments. That was pretty cool. So, he, you know, he had, he had some, get down and got some boogie with him. You know what I'm saying? He did all right, you know? Obed-Edom, I love that. Again, all the blessings from being with the Lord when the, when the Ark of the Covenant was at his house made him want to constantly be around the Lord, made him want to constantly be there. So you see Obed-Edom, and we talked about Obed-Edom, how he would serve here and serve there. That's what happens. You get around the Lord, and all of a sudden the Lord impresses upon your heart that you need to serve, and you want to serve, and you want to give back. And that's what's happening here. So I got hung up on two things in verse 2, or actually verse 1. Then they offered burnt offerings, and peace offerings before God. That's where I got hung up. That's where I'll spend the rest of the time. Little teaching here. The burnt offering is one of the oldest and most common offerings in the history of Israel. Many suggest that in Genesis 4.4, Abel's offering to God was a burnt offering. Although it was first recorded, the first burnt offering was recorded when Noah offered a burnt offering after the, uh, after the flood. God ordered Abraham to offer his son Isaac as a burnt offering in Genesis 22. But then the Lord provided himself a ram as a replacement. And after suffering through the nine of ten plagues, Pharaoh said, I'll let your people go out of bondage, but his refusal to allow the 
the Israelites to take the livestock so they could offer burnt offerings, basically brought forth the final plague. And you can read about that in Exodus 10. The Hebrew word for burnt offering actually means to ascend. Up in smoke, that's what it means, to ascend. It would come up. The burnt offering was the sacrifice that ascended up to God. And according to Leviticus 1 verse 9, it would be a soothing aroma to the Lord. A beautiful, sweet sacrifice. (laughs) Who doesn't like the smell of barbecue? Come on. It's a beautiful sacrifice to the Lord. Technically, any offering burned over an altar was a burnt offering, but in more specific terms, a burnt offering was a complete destruction of the animal except for the hide. They burned it completely in an effort for what? To renew the relationship between the holy God and sinful man. That's why they burnt it all up. When the law came in, God gave the Israelites specific instructions on the types of burnt offerings that the, that, and what they symbolized. You can read about it in Leviticus 1 and Leviticus 6. Talk about the this traditional burnt offerings. The Israels would buy a bull or a sheep or a goat, a male with no defect, and they would kill it at the entrance of the tabernacle. The animal's blood would be drained, The priest would take some of the blood and sprinkle it on the altar. Sprinkle it on the altar, or he would sprinkle it, in this case, on the ark. The animal was skinned, cut into pieces. The intestines and the legs were washed, and the priest burned the priest pieces on the altar all night long. The priest received the skin as a fee for what he did. A turtle dove or a pigeon could also be sacrificed, but those were not sinned. A turtle dove or a pigeon was sacrificed when the people came to the the, um, priest and were very, very poor. What was the sacrifice that Mary and Joseph did for Jesus? It was a turtle dove because they were poor. It was a turtle dove. He was poor and they sacrificed that and that was accepted by God. Now, a person can give a burnt offering at any time. It was a sacrifice of general atonement. It was an acknowledgement of the sin nature and a request for a renewed relationship with God. God also set the times for the priest to give burnt offerings for the benefit of, of Israel as a whole. Now, the animals required for each sacrifice varied. You had every morning and evening, every Sabbath, the beginning of each month, Passover, new grain, first fruits, first feast of weeks, feasts of trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, and at the new moon. So they were constantly offering sacrifices during all these times. The ultimate fulfillment of the burnt sacrifice was the offering of Jesus' body on the cross. His physical life was completely consumed, and he ascended to God. And his covering, his garment, was distributed to those who saw over his sacrifice. But most importantly, his sacrifice once and for all atoned for all our sins and restored our relationship with God. Jesus was a burnt offering. You are You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. 
Pastor Dave comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. And in today's message, Pastor Dave is in the book of First Chronicles. In this book, we witness the kingship of David. What was it that made David such a great king over Israel? No doubt he was a mighty warrior, full of faith and courage. But that's not what made him so great. His greatness came to him because he followed God. When a choice was before him, he went first and asked the Lord what to do. When you face choices in life, what is it that you do first? It might be tempting to first look at finances or talk to a friend. But if you want to be great like King David, seeking God and his wisdom is the first thing to do. As we progress through the story, we'll see times that God sends David into war and others where he directs him to avoid war. We can only know God's direction by seeking his face. Here at Assure Hope, we'd love to do that with you. Are you facing a difficult choice? We'd love to seek God's face in prayer with you. You can email us your requests at info at capewatchradio.com. Once again, that's info at capewatchradio.com. Or you can call us at 609-884-5821. That phone number, again, 609-884-5821. Well, we've come to the end of our time together for today. We'll be back, though, and we hope to see you again here on Assure Hope.